Donald J. Trump has weighed in on uh, on our election here in California. Well, a specific uh, a specific race in California. Uh, Dave, did you did you read about this? I did, and I am devastated. For imagine being just like the biggest toady of this this vile man for what like five years give or take and yeah you've been carrying water for this like manhattan dumbass for how many years like publicly all of the years yeah and at the end of all of it our dear Mm -hmm. friend sheriff scott jones flows yoga buddy Mm. has not gotten the nod from Donald J. Trump. In fact, it has gone to who? Kevin Kiley? Mm-hmm. Yeah. His opponent in the race. Devastating. Burn. I wonder how he's yeah. doing. Can you imagine that? Like, I, he, I mean, honestly, like, I don't really feel bad for him no matter what, but, like, that's tough. Like, that's got to be, like, like, having your hero come out and, like, burn you like that, I, man. Having your hero burn. <laughs> yeah, that's, I mean, he's rough, been, like, you know? He's been, you know, platforming on making sure that wall gets built for all of the years. And, like, when even the Donald doesn't want you. It's all falling apart for them, yeah. He's doing the Snoopy walk around his neighborhood, you know, with the sad Christmas time. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, it's rough. I mean, I feel bad for him. Like that, I feel like I'm trying to think of, like, what the equivalent would be for me if I was running a race. And I think it would be, like, if Vin Diesel went on Instagram and was like, I hope Skyler loses that race. I would, like, I don't know if I could ever recover as my greatest hero. Uh, oh, I love Vin Diesel. Yeah. I really like that Vin Diesel is, like, plugged into Sacramento local mm-hmm. uh, elections. If, yeah. if Dwayne in, in The Rock Skyler's Johnson didn't... Dream World. Yeah. <laughs> right. If if Jason Statham <laughs> did not vote yes. for me and recommended that other people did not vote for me, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> like, I don't know if I could recover. I'd That's like it. That. Yeah. I, I, I would... Honestly, that I would change my name and move somewhere where... Skyler just becomes where the where local Boo knows. Radley. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, yeah, I... I I don't know. I'd have to do some real serious thinking, and I and I imagine that uh, that our our favorite sheriff is uh, is is probably not, he's probably. He's I, I mean, I imagine that he seems like the kind of guy to often like do a lot of self reflection. Um, uh-huh. So he's probably just doing extra <laughs> self reflection in his meditation, uh, his after dinner meditation that he normally uh, seems to. I, he must engage in uh, he to maintain got- his. He got some like really cool like uh, journal prompts from his life coach. Mm-hmm. He's like like working through that, you know. Like what makes you happy? It's like you know, yeah. imprisoning people, looking mm-hmm. like a thumb. Uh, Sheriff, if you need to spend an extra few minutes in Shavasana today, we will understand. <laughs> like truly, though. Oh, yeah, he's definitely not like under a bridge right now, hissing at passers by. He's he's definitely (laughs) processing this. uh, I want an illustration of the country's worst sheriff, one of the country's worst sheriffs hissing under like 160 (laughs) as like passers by. Children scream and run away. Yeah, Yeah, just like. <laughs> well, he once like had it all, a, and he's this is eating where like he is a now. big old like bucket of piggly wiggly fries. Mm. <laughs> piggly wiggly, and fries. he's got like Budweiser. Mm-hmm. And Definitely. every time, every time someone goes by, yeah, he hisses. Well, Sheriff Jones, you have my endorsement, and this episode's for you. Ugh. Amen. <laughs> All right. things they said. Some from those voices things we say. They're in your head. Hello, everyone. You have Kempa. And 
you have Skylar. Also, you have Shannon. And Katie. Yes, Council Member Valenzuela. Um, <laughs> so glad to have you today. Uh, I'm super excited for our conversation. Um, just real quick, I'm going to tell folks, Flo is not here. She's running the Measure U Committee as we record. <laughs> we, we, were rec- we were listening to her. We've missed her so badly uh, the, in the minutes before this, this episode. Uh, but a lot of budgeting things happening right now. It makes total sense that Flo and the rest of the Measure U Committee would be busy <coughs> with that. Um, but we get to have council member Katie Valenzuela of district four here in Sacramento um, and her staff. Thank you. Oh, I'm sorry. (laughs) (laughs) And her all-star staffer. Um, We will recognize all of the district four staff. Yeah. Thank you. I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out to the, the rest of the crew too. Yeah. Um, I'm really excited to have you on today, Katie. Uh, We wanted to hear from you about a recent trip that you took to Cuba. Um, It obviously riled up some of the more conservative, you know, landlordy types in our region. Um, But I thought it would be real fun to have you on and talk about sort of (coughs) what this trip was, um, you know, kind of what you learned there and um, just kind of give folks sort of a, a view into to what Cuba is like, because I know so few Americans have actually been there. Um, just real quick, I don't know if folks noticed, but as we record today, I think just a couple hours before recording, President Biden actually lifted some of the restrictions that President Donald Trump had put on um, sending folks sending remittances back to their families in Cuba, uh, on travel, and on just general interactions between our two countries. So it's a very small positive step, uh, but there's so, so much more that could be done. So Yeah, I have a question about that real quick, because I didn't get a chance to read that whole article. Did you, if, if you did, did he, he didn't bring it all the way back to where Obama had it before Trump changed it back, right? But he did, he did some stuff, but not all the Obama stuff. Is that, that right? Is, did I... That is my understanding, yes. There is still, <laughs> you still cannot do tourist travel. You can do group-to-group type travel. Um, what, what you, Shannon, what are you laughing at? What's... I just really yeah, like... Shannon, that wasn't that funny. <laughs> I just really like the summary of, the, of, of what the article was about <laughs> by Skyler. Some, some of the... <laughs> So he got rid of some of the Trump stuff and brought back some of the Obama stuff, but not all of the Obama stuff. Which, yeah, I mean, basically, I that's listened, true. I haven't that been is on the show accurate, in a while. Yeah, that's an accurate <laughs> summary of that article. Yeah, I just, I'm tickled. I'm, I'm glad to be here. I'll. We have now. Skyler on this show for his incisive analysis, so I, I welcome <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, exactly. <clears throat> um. But yes, there have been some things lifted. There is still no like you know technical tourist travel. It has to be sort of group to group educational type things, which I believe. Uh, and then there's some people who have historically been able to travel there for many reasons, political reasons, which is why Katie is you know legally allowed to go. Uh, sports reasons, if you're like a sports player, you can go. Uh, and historically, I believe academics can for various reasons from the U.S. Um, this is kind of neither here nor there, Katie. Can you tell us, first of all, for, for all the Steve Maviglios out there, what was the purpose of this trip to Cuba? Yes, thank you. And hi, Steve. Glad you're listening. <laughs> um, I went with an organization called Building Relations with Cuban Labor. They are part of a national network of solidarity organizations supporting Cuba. And this one in particular is run by... Bill Camp, who is our former head of the Central Labor Council in Sacramento, and um, a woman named Nancy Amata, um, who is a longtime labor attorney, bargainer, um, just hardcore couple of folks. And they've got this ragtag board, and they go down, and they've been going down for over a decade um, under, I mean, there's about a dozen reasons, actually, you can go to Cuba. We went under um, Support for Cuban People, which is a, a thing you can check that essentially means you're going down to just help the Cubans. We brought a bunch of medicine. And books yeah, Trump and added that, that reason, get. actually, I think. Yeah, yeah so um, we were able to go down under that. But we were really there for May Day, um, which is their annual celebration of 
of the workers. It's essentially a worker party. Um, there's a big parade where all the workers participate in the parade and basically all the dignitaries and electives just like watch and cheer them on for a whole morning. And then there's a big party um, at an ocean spot that we got to go to on a beach, um, which was pretty cool. Lots of beer um, and all sorts of wonderful things. Yeah. That sounds amazing. I'm so amazing. jealous that you guys are. <laughs> Yeah. It was pretty amazing. I mean, we did a lot of other stuff there, too, which we could talk about. But I think, like, that was the primary reason we were there was to build with the unions. Um, and a big part of Bill Camp's philosophy and the philosophy of the organization is that when you build unions, you know, you build not just democracy, but just you build communities. And um, so he's a big fan of that. He actually has some Hondurans up right now um, for that same purpose um, in Sacramento that we met with last night. So he's a big believer that labor organizing just um, helps people build political power and um, get things done. And so that's why we were down there. And it was pretty incredible. That is incredible. And, and you know, labor organizing is, you know, sort of the stri- strategically and on principle, it is a global struggle, right? It is a global thing that that, you know, folks are trying to to pull together laborers so that, you know, they are not exploited in every co- sort of corner of our world. So that's really cool that and meaningful that, you um, something like this would be happening a in Cuba and that American Americans who represent labor and the interests of labor would come out and participate actively in something like this. Yeah, absolutely. And there are people from, I'm pretty sure everywhere in the world, like I even saw North Koreans there. Um, you know, I saw like, I mean, literally you were seeing these flags and you'd kind of look at it and be like, what's that flag? And I take a photo of it so I could like Google it later. And I'm like, oh, it was that country. I mean, it was an incredible, I mean, Cuba wants to work with everybody and, um, you know, really believes in, you know, live and let live and um, solidarity of the workers specifically. Um, and, you know, it was just, it was incredible to be there and just kind of, I found myself just taking a lot of videos actually just to try to like soak in the moment of, watching six million workers walk by and while all of these like dignitaries just applauded them for hours. It was incredible. That is incredible. Um, how, how much of, so where you, were you staying in Havana? Yeah, we spent the first um, half of the trip in Havana, and then some of us um, elected to stay for an extended trip, which was an additional five or six days where we went um, around the country to, in this case, we were staying kind of central Cuba. Cuba was actually a lot bigger, at least than I mentally imagined. Um, so we went south it's to like Bay of Pigs, yeah. Sin Fuegos, um, Trinidad. Um, we were in Santa Clara, which is um, the home of the Che Guevara um, monument and memorial, um, and then came back in the whole, I mean, we were hours away from Havana, and we when they showed us on the map i'm like oh we're not even like this far outside of it on this big country map it's it's huge bay of pigs is that so is that like playa hiron yes oh so cool that this is folks famously where you know the cia backed um a, a lot of cia folks plus some cia backed uh batista supporters came back and tried to to win cuba once more for for this you know uh former fascist regime yeah. uh, and lost uh very badly to yeah. to the cuban people because um, little so did they know that fidel was staying very nearby um with a whole lot of people with him and um they waged this epic battle and you go to the museum and see because a lot of what the museum is doing is documenting some of the paraphernalia they collected why they know that it was the americans behind it i mean they had a bunch of America-made weapons and uniforms and, you know, they captured a bunch of these folks and they basically said like, yeah. <laughs> um, so it was, um, yeah, it was pretty cool to see from that perspective, um, just mm-hmm. the other side of um, what that experience was for them. They're very proud of that um, whole area and just the way the people fought back, um, you know, when, when the time came. Yeah. Um, okay. So you got to spend some, I don't even know where to begin with this whole, I, know. There's I, so I, much I have so many say. questions. Um, <laughs> Well, f- first of all, I guess, um, talk to us a little bit about um, this sort of some of these labor conversations that, that you are part of, as well as the, the sort of international conference. Yeah, we met with union leaders um, from the National um, Union in Havana. And also when we traveled to Cienfuegos, we met with some union leaders there. And the unions really are the backbone. They represent everybody. Um, And there's a lot of women in the leadership, actually, that I got to meet. It was funny because I asked them, like, how is the gender parity in in your elected offices? And they're like, well, we're more than 50%. So, of course, we have half the seats at least, you know. And they just looked at me like, duh. And I'm like 
we could learn so much from you. Um, but yeah, they are doing fantastic work. And it's funny because some of the questions we were asking, because I was with a lot of like teachers and, you know, Baker's Union folks and different people, and they were asking about strikes and stuff. And they were like, no, there's no strikes here. Like the laws protect the workers. And when there's a conflict, there's a process and the process is resolved. And um, like the workers have plenty of options to pursue their rights and, and to hear grievances and to seek resolution. So it's like not even heard of to them that there would be such a need for something like a strike. It was almost like, no, what are you talking about? Of course, there's no strikes. Um, you know, we met the folks from the hotel unions and some of the leaders from that, and they are just so frustrated because I think they've built a really great infrastructure, but what they're missing is is the income. What they're missing is the tourism. What they're missing is the trade. And, um, you know, you can talk to a worker, you know, a maid in a hotel. You can talk to whoever you want to talk to, and they're going to say the same thing. Like, the U.S. needs to end the blockade. That's what they call it there. We call it the embargo. They call it the blockade. They need to end the blockade because, I mean, how else are we going to grow and, and thrive as a community if we're continue to be stamped on? And there's some really interesting graphic um, designs that were shown during the conference to kind of illustrate how they feel about the embargo. Um, which are pretty strong. I mean, there's some really strong things that they feel, obviously, um, because like during the pandemic, for instance, we talked to a lot of medical staff, the U.S. wouldn't let them buy ventilators. Um, there's actually, they had to create their own ventilators um, to keep people alive when um, COVID-19 hit the island because they couldn't access ventilators. Um, when they developed their own vaccines, and I say vaccine plural, doesn't need to be refrigerated as effective as Moderna or Pfizer. It's really revolutionary. They had to get the unions in the United States to rally to send them syringes so that they could get everybody vaccinated. It's just incredibly frustrating to them. But what they have is an incredible infrastructure where people feel a lot of ownership and they're very present. You know, when we met with them, there was always, you know, we met in the Team Fuegos, there was 50 people in that room, you know, from the different unions and they were there to hear what their leaders had to say. I mean, the communication system is just incredible. Yeah. Can I can I hop in and give a little context for folks sure. who might not know who are listeners or viewers? Um, the U.S. and even in, in Cuba's statement today about some of the lifts that that uh, Biden has put uh, on on the former um, policy on Americans in Cuba. Um, historically, ever since uh, Fidel Castro wrested power from the fascist Batista uh, in 1959, the U.S. has led a devastating and that's a term they use uh, in Cuba even today. Yeah a devastating blockade economic embargo um, that has really harmed the people of Cuba and forced so, so many to live in destitution. And this is historically how the imperial governments of our world tend to try and fight and push back against any form of socialism in this world. What they do is they shut them off economically and with from the rest of the world and try and just strangle them tighter and tighter until the people's material conditions deteriorate, right? Uh, if we had open trading with Cuba today, if we had open tourism, and if our government had, you know, over the last 63 years actively just had an amicable relationship with Cuba, their material conditions would be so much better. So this is a policy choice by the U.S. that has harmed regular working people in a country like Cuba. And we've done this in this country to countries all over the world. Yeah. Not only that. And, and then and we just, use them. Then we use them as examples of why socialism never yeah. works. Right. Right. <clears throat> Precisely. Yeah. And, well, and I think, yeah. And, and I think when Raul came into power and I've been reading a lot from like journalists who've lived there. And I mean, there's. There's a lot that's not perfect about Cuba, and a lot of Cubans, including the politicians and unions, will say, like, we, we've worked to do. It's only, and some of, I remember one person telling me, well, it's only been 60 years since the revolution, so, like, give us time. we got to keep figuring this out. Um, but when Raul took power, one of the things he did was really open up the media, right, and social media. This is really Fidel's brother, Fidel's younger brother. brother. When, when he became ill and stepped away from the presidency, his brother came in and assumed the presidency, and he opened up a lot of media and communications, and it's making people very anxious. Because I think the generation of Cubans who was there for the revolution obviously gets it. They they understood what it was like during Bautista's time. They know how much has changed since um, since that time has passed. They don't take it for granted, and they talk a lot about why they don't take it for granted, but they're watching the younger generation who wasn't around when that happened get on Facebook, see propaganda from the United States, see what's going on. 
on, see things that other people have in other countries and say, hey, wait a minute, why don't I have that and blame the government? And, and I actually heard that from some folks that are like, right. no, the government's incompetent. That's why we don't have things. And I'm like, there's no government in the world that'd be able to walk around a blockade this this stringent. I mean, this isn't just, and just to make sure people understand what we're talking about. I mean, this isn't just, you can't, you know, travel restrictions, trade restrictions. This is not just doing business with the United States. This is anybody who does business with Cuba that then wants to do business with the United States gets it penalized for this. I mean, they have cast yes. the net so wide. And what Obama did was start to roll that back and try to, in his words, normalize relations. And when Trump came in, not only did he undo what Obama did, he put over 200 additional rules on top of the sanctions that were already there. And that's the world that they're living in. So when you walk around Cuba today, I mean, there are shortages on shelves. Um, people were eager for our toiletries. Like I was encouraged when I went to bring full-size like shampoos and like hair stuff. And they're like, leave it, like ask the hotel staff or the tour guides if they want it. And they were thrilled because this was something that was hard for them to get. And so the younger generation that's being exposed to this media and seeing what other people have and seeing this propaganda are saying, well, why don't we have that? And, and I remember reading this quote from Raul at one point during his presidency when he's like, well, you don't have to worry about housing. You don't have to worry about health care. You don't have to worry about your education. You're guaranteed a pension. All of these things. Like, yes, your wages are low and it's hard to get goods, but but this is the price we're paying for living, yes. for having these things. Healthcare is trying, free there. Yeah, and, and he was trying to make this case to them about like, yes, I know you don't have, and it would be easier if the United States would relax if we changed our ways, but there comes with this cost. Um, and it just is, it's a battle that's ongoing and that a lot mm -hmm. of people, especially in the middle up, like older range, and even some of the young people are starting to get really um, anxious about. Yeah. Um, yeah. You, you know, a lot of Americans don't understand either the the reasoning for, you know, yeah. why why life is hard there. I told some family members the other day that, you know, the literacy is 100% there. And they looked at me with blank looks on their face. And yeah. they're like, well, why don't we know this? And I said, because of American propaganda. Like, Why would you know this? That was one of the first things they did after the revolution was send out teachers, the counter-revolutionaries, the Bautista supporters. We actually passed a few monuments and I asked what they were and they said, those are monuments to some of the teachers that they killed um, in the early wow. days because they went out into the rural areas to teach everybody how to read. I mean, this was a movement that came from those communities, right? And they were teaching them to read, making sure they had housing, they were building properties, they were reallocating properties that had been left behind to people who worked there descendants of slaves who worked those properties. It was just incredible, but nobody would know that. And then they really hit this wall after the Mitchell crisis and after, you know, Kennedy came through and just cut everything off at the knees. Yeah. No, I, I also wanted to briefly mention, um, you know, you were talking about how even countries that want to trade with Cuba are penalized for doing that. A big reason for that is that the U.S. has historically listed Cuba as supporting of terrorism, which is yeah. absolutely- That was the Trump administration's final parting blow to Cuba. Yeah, and it, it's absolute bullshit. And not only that, if anyone wants to look up Cuban Flight 455 on October 6, 1976, this is a devastating day, a day that Cubans all know when a CIA-backed group of terrorists who were supporters of Batista blew up a plane, a commercial flight, and killed 73 people on board. Like, which country here actually has supported terrorism in this yeah. situation? And, well, and yeah. I, the more you do read about this, the more you actually see kind of there's, it's a lot of like, like, projection, like the messaging the US uses against Cuba, it's, they're actually s accusing them of doing things that our government themselves have done over the last yeah. few decades. Oh, 100%. Well, and I think it's important to name not just Bautista as a fascist, which he was, but the role of the mafia in Cuba before the revolution. Um, they owned Havana. Um, and there's so many photos and so many books and so much documentation about this that they were openly, this was America's playground in large part because the mafia was there and they were attracting, you know, musicians and actors and just all sorts of folks to come. Um, but Bill Camp actually has this fascinating story where I guess a cousin of his or a family member of his 
was in Cuba trying to start a chicken farm. And they said, oh, he went to the government to apply for a permit. And they were like, oh, no, you've got to go talk to them. And they basically sent them to the mafia who said, you know, here's what you have to pay to get us to allow you to do this chicken farm in Cuba. So this was not just fascism, although that was egregious enough. This was also just rampant exploitation of the Cuban people and the Cuban government to allow for this playground for America criminal syndicates um, to operate. Um, so it was, this was part of it is like you had folks leave Cuba who were property owners, who were the affluent, who benefited from the system, who were largely mm -hmm. dictating the politics here now, right? And then you also had these very affluent, connected people who also had connections to this mafia who were very frustrated that they lost their money, their money source, um, their, their source of income. So it was a really, so some people were just like, well, it doesn't make sense. Because for me, it didn't make sense either. I'm like, that doesn't feel like enough because we've had all these incidents with other countries and we haven't shut them down this hard. But when you right. look at the totality of incidents and what was going on at the time that Fidel had like led that revolution with, you know, Che and all of those folks, that that kind of puts it more into context of an economic driver. They're, they're mad that they lost their money. Yeah. And if folks want to learn more about that story, highly recommended season two of Blowback, the podcast. Incredible. Incredible. It's so well done. Um, and it tells its story very, very well over the course of seven, eight episodes. Um, so, okay. I actually, I have been to Cuba. I went in 2006. I was like a senior in college, um, technically not allowed to go. Um, but like, I, I really kind of wanted to see what the fuss was about. And I, I was there for Fidel's 80th birthday and they had a huge party on the Malecon, which is the main, the main thoroughfare, right? That goes all along the coast in Havana. Um, can you talk a little bit about um, the the people of Cuba, what they're like? Um, because that to me was probably, you know, not just like these like cars that seem to last forever and all these like, you know, the, the colors and stuff like that to me was the thing that that like I'll never forget. You know, the people of Cuba, I mean, so many have left. Like the, So for different reasons, right? Sometimes they had to because they couldn't get things they needed. Sometimes they didn't want to be in Cuba. The people who were there believe in, in this vision. Um, you know, the people who were there are incredibly kind, um, incredibly generous. Um, you know, I posted about a knee injury I took um, on a hike uh, outside of Trinidad. And when we were trying to get back up, which was hard work because my knee was actively bleeding and in a lot of pain, um, these guys came down and I knew the guide had called. And so I just assumed, oh, these are folks from the clinic. They weren't. They were restaurant workers um, who heard that somebody was hurt on the trail and wow. came down with the stretcher, like basically offering to carry me back up this very steep trail to the road. And I was like so stunned. at It was such a perfect example of what it's like to be a Cuban, you know, like these are folks who look out for each other. They know each other. Um, they're very friendly. The crime rate is incredibly low. It's like petty crime, maybe, but like the, you see hitchhikers everywhere because cars are really expensive and they're like, no, people I've don't get kidnapped there. Kid yeah, to they the don't beach. get kidnapped here. They don't like, she's like, no, like if people go missing, it's because they like fell into the swamp and like didn't get out. You know, they're like, it's not, you know, that people don't get murdered here. You know, it's just like very, um, it's just, a, it's a, the solidarity and, and the word that they use a lot is, is love. Um, they use love a lot. Um, and mi pueblo, right? Like they talk a lot about my people. Um, and it's just, you feel it everywhere you go, even in small ways that people help each other out. And even in big ways, like, you know, with the incident of with my, me on this hike. And so, I mean, they're just incredible people. Like, we actually stayed with these grandparents in Sin Fuegos because um, our hotel had canceled. It ended up being better because then we were just renting these rooms from these uh, abuelos in, in Sin Fuegos. And they were just telling their stories of driving the country. And they'd had their car for 48 years, which I'm like, what, what American has done that other than, like, the lowriders and some select groups? But it was – they love their country. And they love their neighbors. And they're genuinely interested in, in helping each other. And it's just incredible. And, of course, there's exceptions to every rule in every place. But but, I mean, largely in Cuba, I just saw an incredibly resilient, amazing community. Yeah. Can you – so I I actually – I'm probably like most Americans. I don't know much about Cuba and its geography beyond um, Havana, Playa Hidon, and, like, Guantanamo, right? Mm -hmm. So, like um, – what is Cienfuegos, uh, kind of how big or small is that town or city, and, and kind of what, what was the whole deal there? 
Yeah, Sin Fuegos is um, south of Havana, um, kind of like if you went straight down, you'd hit Bay of Pigs, and if you go a little bit to the east, you'd be in Sin Fuegos. It's another bay area. It's where a lot of ships used to come in. Um, you know, a lot of these towns in the south were very big tourist destinations because they'd get, like, the European and the big cruises. You know, they'd go down the United States and end up at the south part of Cuba, and those were these towns that sprung up for that. And um, there's beautiful places, um, really. And we actually drove by because it's on the coast. You have a lot of towns that have been destroyed by hurricanes and guess what they do in crisis in Cuba they commandeer the hotels get everybody into hotels and they give them all the materials to rebuild their unheard homes. of here and so we were <laughs> finding these beautiful homes that were like colorful and like really nice and you could see everybody was just kind of lounging around and hanging out on the weekend and I'm like this is amazing um, but yeah Sin Fuego is the south um, and we went there to visit some of the trade unions um, and to visit some of the schools um, they had some really amazing residential art schools for, for children there that we went to, to tour. Um, but yeah, I mean, the people there, just like anywhere else, like I think of the teachers, the teachers were my age, right? And I mean, they're there for a reason. I mean, they're, they're there because they believe that art is a right and that they want to teach these kids how to do what they do well. And they're sending them out to the rural communities to perform. And that's like part of their mission is to make sure every Cuban has exposure or can practice music and art in their communities. And it's just... Yeah, I mean, I feel like I keep going on these vignettes, but it's hard to really like encapsulate some of these like areas. But yeah, Sin Fuegos is south, so we went like Bay of Pigs and then Sin Fuegos, and then we went kind of further east to Trinidad. Um, and the whole time, I mean, we were kind of working around the central mountain range. We didn't even get to like the eastern mountain range, which is where Fidel was from and where he's buried. We didn't get anywhere to like the west um, side. Uh, we were really just in the central part of Cuba and just it's hours a very and hours long island. Yeah. yeah, very long island, a lot bigger than folks would think. Mm -hmm. um, and also for, for the lefties uh, who like to, you know, kind of squabble with other le lefty um, ideologies, Cienfuegos is named after a man named Camilo Cienfuegos. Um, he is famously an anarchist. And even though he did not agree politically with Fidel or Che on a number of things, um, he is a deeply, deeply respected person in that country. Absolutely. Um, what, where else do we go with this? Shannon, Skyler? I haven't been, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I've got more questions. I like, yeah. if you want, I'll just, I'll, I'll ask a couple more. Um, so some people got a little fussy back here in Sacramento. Uh, I did in fact see, uh, our dear friend, uh, America's landlord, um, Steve Maviglio mentioned. The Washington generals of Sacramento politics. He, yes. <laughs> the Washington general, the, Skyler's saying that because Steve commented on a post of Katie's um, regarding her trip to Cuba, and he was subsequently just dunked on left and right by like dozens of people, and it was just a joyful thing to watch. Um, so Steve, look forward to seeing more of you and Hey man, unblock me on Twitter. I want to see it on there too. Um, but you know, he came out saying like, well, why didn't council member Valenzuela go to cap to cap where she could actually help the people of Sacramento cap to cap being where business leaders and city officials in Sacramento once a year led by like the Metro chamber yeah. will fly out to, um, Washington DC and try and build relationships out there and try and get, I, I don't know, money and resources, uh, from the folks in DC apparently. Yeah. And it's, um, I mean, that happens every year. And so there was a part of me that was weighing the fact that, you know, I hope Bill Camp lives forever, but he probably won't. And I knew this was probably, I wanted to go with him to Cuba. And I knew this might be one of my last chances. Um, but also, I mean, I always knew Cap to Cap was there. There was also this interesting thing where Cap to Cap this year, and it is organized by the Metro Chamber, got scheduled when one of the House, I think the Senate was in recess, or one of, like, either the Senate or the House was in recess. And so I'm like, okay, so we're not even going to get to mingle with the staff of, like, one of the whole houses. And honestly, a lot of my colleagues were going. But um, it was a good thing I didn't go, because uh, coming back from Cap to Cap, um, and it's not really been widely reported, which is kind of amazing to me, like, 50 people got COVID. Um, and including three of my colleagues, like oh my real God. bad, like 
really, really bad. Like they are down for the count. And um, it was, uh, and I'm like, well, gosh, I mean, Cuba, people wear masks everywhere. They've got their own vaccines. They trust their healthcare professionals. So they're largely pretty healthy. They actually have one of the longest life expectancies in the world. And Cuba, um, you should have come to Cuba. Yeah, <laughs> because, they've because got COVID all sorts of vaccines the best time. <laughs> Free healthcare too. You know, yeah. My, you know, knowing nothing of this because I haven't heard about this and I, I have my finger on the pulse pretty well in Sacramento. I would think that this is would be a PR nightmare uh, for the folks at the Metro Chamber and um, some other of the folks that went out there uh, that they would be so uh kind of laissez-faire, to, to use a uh, American economic term, uh, in their approach to this cap-to-cap trip that would result in this effectively becoming a super spreader event. So, report on it, someone. <laughs> T. Clift, you heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of people got sick. <laughs> uh, and thankfully, everybody's okay, right? Because you don't want anybody to get seriously ill, right. and that's good. Mm-hmm. And everybody was vaccinated and boosted. But yeah, it's um, it's, it's kind of just around. interesting because I think the part I found most interesting was the fact that he kept calling my trip a special interest junket. And um, I just think it's so fascinating when people call labor special interests um, because I'm like, no, they're governed by the workers and the workers are what make the economy run. And um, like, that's not, plus I paid for this myself for anybody who's asking. I did not use my council funds for this. So it's just, I'm like, I essentially took a vacation to go help and learn about a country that is really close to us and I think has a lot to teach us. So, um, I mean, when is that it's interesting that that's considered a bad thing by anybody. Frankly. It's another instance of uh, the lady doth protest too much. It's like Steve <laughs> is he's projecting again, right? It's yeah. like like come on, man! Like that all you represent are special interests. Like yeah, you know. Well, and I during... love that I was um you know meeting with these important people and learning all these great lessons and you know swimming in this beautiful ocean and tasting amazing rum while Steve was just sitting here just like. Just angsting over the fact that I was like blood boiling, his face getting red. I was like, "What?" Like, like I hadn't even checked. I didn't even see it until Skylar messaged me, and I was like, "Oh my gosh, what is going on with this?" So, no, I think everybody should try to go. And honestly, I think one. I mean, two things for next steps for me is just one is that they do organize, they are planning to organize a May Day trip every year until the embargo is lifted. Um, and so great. there is an opportunity to go, especially for union folks. Um, and, and if they need financial help, I mean, they're really good at helping figure that out. Um, they're doing similar work with Honduras. And I'll just put a quick sidebar in there. Like the reason the Honduran labor leaders are up here is because Honduran labor leaders under the previous administration, they have a new president, tended to get um, murdered a lot, assassinated a lot. Um, So they like it when folks come down um, from America because we're big news. And when the news shows up, people are safe because there's a spotlight now on on what's happening. And so there's going to be key moments where Bill will also organize trips to Honduras so that we can help support uh, key organizing moments for the unions down there as, as well. So I think it's all really important. And I like to think that part of why Biden finally did something today is because there were a lot of us from America down there and we were sharing on social media and posting and tweeting like this. I don't care what you feel about Cuba. I don't care what they did in the past. There's no justification for what is, as you mentioned, a war um, on Cuba. There's actually a really great YouTube series that people should watch called War on Cuba that uh, Danny Glover and others produced with Cuban journalists um, talking Oliver about Oliver Stone going on. is the other producer on that. Yeah, oh. it's incredible. And like we learned things that we didn't know, like the Havana Syndrome whole thing. It's not real. And like they had American oh, scientists totally. on basically yeah. being like, this is not real. So like it, it really debunks and it shows if you go to their website, because they have a web page outside of YouTube, it shows them making ventilators to survive during COVID. It shows what they did and what the healthcare industry did. And I have to say that one thing I really respect not only is that they live in the community, so Cubans really respect their medical professionals, but also they have free health you know, training for anybody. So you had folks from around the world getting training. They were in front on the May Day Parade on purpose. The president made a point of noting that the healthcare workers were out front because what they did during the pandemic, given the embargo, was nothing short of amazing. Um, so That's, I really have to respect the respect that they showed to their healthcare workers and what they've been doing down there. Yeah. And what they've been doing um, with what little, once again, that they had because of this devastating, violent embargo the U.S. has put yeah. on that country. Um, 
the U.S. and the Trump administration really, when the um, pandemic hit, started twisting the knife even further um, at a time when just people needed more and more help, yeah. right? Uh, and so the, it really is unconscionable. Um, yeah, if we think we hate Trump, um, you should talk to a Cuban in Cuba about Trump um, because they, like, their hatred for the Trump administration goes far beyond anything I've heard expressed because it was so direct and they felt it so viscerally um, when he well, And it on came them. on the heels of, like, Obama undoing a bunch yeah. of damage. So there's there were so many businesses that were like, sweet, let's go. Like, we're ready to go. Yeah. Had a couple of great years, and then just they just got whiplash when Trump shut it all back down. I mean, I can't even, I can't imagine how incredibly frustrating and discouraging that must have been. Yeah. Incredibly frustrating. And they feel, I mean, this is part of why we see, I saw in the news when I got back last week, national news, they said it was the highest levels of Cuban migration that they had seen for several decades, like 80,000 people have come, you know, in the last year. And it's and it's in large part because of our policies towards them. And and I think just the genuine, like there's an active effort to maintain. They actually have something called, they like, say CDR. You see CDR everywhere. It's Commission Defense and the Revolution that they created to kind of help fight back against the counter-revolutionary forces. But now today still exists as these like neighborhood, you know, they're helping the mom with the special needs kids, make sure she has the food and the doctor she needs. They're helping just solve community problems when a building has to lock down for quarantine because there's been a COVID exposure. They're bringing produce and, and goods to them to make sure they're comfortable. Like these have become the agents of the government in these neighborhoods and they try so hard to help people feel supported and, and connected. But I mean, you also can't blame a Cuban, especially if you needed something, say you had a rare illness or your child needed something or, you know, you had family that you hadn't seen in years because of the Trump administration's draconian policies. I mean, you can't really blame them for trying to get over here um, by any means possible. And it's just heartbreaking to realize that we are both lamenting this crisis and also actively perpetuating it by not yeah. changing Trump, these policies. Trump also, I don't know if I mentioned, he instated a thing that said a remittance, remittance being if you're a family member who lives in the U.S., you send money back to your home country to help support your family back there. He put a cap on family remittances during this pandemic, um, and he said you can only send $1,000 per quarter perform every three months back there and and again this is a, another just um just really like heartless yeah. devoid of humanity move um real quick i just wanted to mention to folks you mentioned the new president in uh, where was that honduras yeah yeah in honduras uh her name is shimara castro uh in her win she's a uh a, a very very exciting um leftist uh first ever i believe woman president there and um, she represents sort of a swing away from, um, I believe within that country, it was a far right regime, but like all throughout Latin America, we're seeing neoliberal regimes fall as well in places like Chile. Um, and it's something that is starting to look like what one would call the second uh, sort of pink tide um, mm. of like social democratic uh, governments rising all throughout Latin America. Um, so this is an exciting time for the left, I think, in the Americas. I know we're in the belly of the beast, and sometimes it can be real demoralizing to see the way that people are treated by our city, state, and national governments. But uh, sometimes when you look out the window, it's like it's kind of nice to see the tide moving a certain way. Absolutely. But we also have to guard because part of what the president is doing in Honduras in terms of rolling back the free trade zones, rolling back kind of the blank checks that had been written to businesses to essentially do what they wanted. Some of the stories last night were just incredible. And like, I didn't, wouldn't have never known that was a law um, that we allowed. Um, she's rolling that back and she's doing it pretty aggressively. And she's only been in office for a hundred days. And I think folks are nervous, you know, folks are excited and folks are also very cognizant of the need to support, which is why if you're able to think about asking your unions or your employers to help pay you, or if you're able to pay for yourself to go on one of these trips down to Honduras, um, you could literally be saving lives and, and actually helping move the needle um, in Honduras towards a more democratic and, and just socialist and, and amazing country that they want to be. Yeah. Oh my God. This was such a joy talking to you about this. 
thank you so much for, for talking with us about this today. Always. Um, I have so much more to say. I feel like I keep having these stories pop into my head and I'm like, no, stop. But if nothing else, I hope folks will watch the War on Cuba videos. They're very quick and easy. They're very good. Um, they're done by journalists in Cuba who are very open about the faults of the government, but also very clearly calling on us to act. Um, you can contact your Congress people to encourage them to sign on to, to push the Biden administration further. Um, and just, yeah, if you can sign up for some of these trips, they're going to be life-changing for you, but they'll do even more for the people that you're visiting who just need that little bit of hope and that infusion of solidarity that, um, as one person said, you can't buy solidarity, you know? Um, solidarity can't be bought, I think, is how they said it at one of the conferences, and it was just amazing. Yeah, I love that. Um, I think that's a great call to action, and it's sort of, I think for a lot of us, will help uh, pull some of the wool out from our eyes on kind of what we've been told, right? Um, the Columbus moments, as as Skyler likes to call it. Which, yeah, that, that's so great. Um, we have about 15 minutes left. And I, I, I obviously, like, what we just talked about, like, that to me is, like, just I could go on with you on this forever, too. But I wanted... I actually have one piece of go ahead. trivia I want to interject before we move off of Cuba. Did you know that in between the period when Obama opened things up and Trump shut them back down, that Vin Diesel visited... Cuba. Um, and they filmed the first scene of, um, I believe Fast and the Furious 8 is filmed in Cuba. It takes place there. Um, and they would not be allowed to do that today. And I just think that is an important moment in history that I wanted to name uh, before we moved on from the conversation around Cuba. Still fishing for that Vin Diesel endorsement, huh, Sky? <laughs> I can't. Keep I can't wind pocket. up like Sheriff Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I got. I'm, I, the campaign starts now. <laughs> uh, yeah. No. Um, just a, an incredible place. Incredible people. Um, and I think um, that Honduras conversation. I didn't expect, but I'm glad we got to have that a little mm -hmm. bit today. But I figured since we had you on, we don't have you on too often. Um, but I wanted to. Since we had you, I wanted to be able to discuss. It's uh, budget season, and there's some things happening in the Sac City budget, uh, which, you know, A of all, that's why Flo's not here right now. Um, but last week, Tuesday, on the 10th of May, um, City Manager Howard Chan came out kind of with some of his budget recommendations. There's a, still a month-long process, so, like, you know, things can get hammered out and worked out in certain ways. But a couple things seem to be pretty concerning, one of them being that it kind of looked like in the Sunrise Sacramento folks caught on to this real fast. It it looked like they were trying to make our climate goals look completely batshit unrealistic and that like, you know, we have better places to spend our money. They did similar things. And, and you called this out during that meeting. He put up Howard Chan put up just like a bunch of different arts and community based like development Mm -hmm. projects that have been greenlit already many of them as you said had like the mous underway and he's like well you know these are a couple of things that i guess hypothetically we could cut and like these are the heart and soul of ours like Including, city like funding. most of the dcr fund like all of the dcr funding for the mid-year so all the women and children's funding and all of the outreach funding yeah oh, we and, haven't contracted with this yet so maybe we can use this money for climate yes and then on top of that, um, you know, it, I, I believe this budget for next year is set to put the Sacramento police funding at an all-time high of $165.8 million. That is an increase to the police budget. Um, oh, it's higher th than that, Kempa. Oh, I was reading. This is uh, from a B article from. That's that's an older article. Oh, yeah, from this last is year. Two hundred and twenty-one million dollars is what's being proposed for SAC PD. Okay, so they're adding how much? Slightly Just a little bit. It's still Just off by eighty. <laughs> that's million. a deep conversation on how much they're adding because that gets to why they. This is a crazy budget year for Sacramento. Just incredible, and they're they're ringing the alarms. And and I figured after Howard Chan lost his war criminal right hand man uh, Conlin, that like maybe he'd go a little easier on this stuff, but he's not. Um, so what we're seeing is City Manager Howard Chan trying to defund investments in our poor communities, investments in our arts. 
um, investments in, you know, even things like the the community response. Um, although, thankfully, I believe that we'll be getting a, a good deal more funding this year for this year. Yeah. Um, and then he's trying to put how much more? How much is are, is he trying to raise the police budget? So by my math, it's 17 million from last year, but there's important changes that I'm saying by my math, because if Sacramento City's budget was opaque before, it got a little bit more intense this year. And I had a moment during the meeting where I was like, wait, where'd this money go? Right. So when you look at the So it's like a fucking shell game that they're trying to just it just takes a a lot. And I know they're and I think they're trying to improve it, but then what happened in the process of trying (laughs) to improve it is it just made it like super confusing because they did two things at once. One thing was they changed how they reported the money. So when you look at the budget and you go to the department, like I'm looking at the police budget right now, you see department budget summary and you see a number at the bottom of that top chart that says total. And you're thinking, okay, that's the total budget. Well, there's a line above that that says labor and supply offset. And there's parentheses indicating that they're subtracting money away from because it's being paid by something else. So until last year, that parentheses next to labor and supply offset included measure U money. So if you look at the police budget actuals from 2021, it's got, you know, a negative $45 million offset. Um, and they're like, well, that was the Measure U money because they were counting it as an extra fund. They weren't counting it as general fund dollars. Um, so what they decided to do this year was bring the Measure U funding into the charts, which is actually an improvement, right? Because now okay. instead of just seeing general fund, you see the Measure U money. And the now just the labor and supply offset is grant funding or if they have a fee that pays for something, it's other funds. So it's it's a much smaller number. <laughs> But what they also did (laughs) is they moved the money between Measure U and General Fund because one of the big critiques of Dr. Flo and others is that we were using Measure U money for mostly public safety and that that wasn't what the community voted on. It should have been going to housing, youth, and the things that were promised. So essentially what they said was, okay, and they moved a bunch of money out of Measure U for public safety and gave them more general funds so the budget didn't change. And then they put more of the youth and arts and and homeless response money into Measure U and then took away their general fund money. Um, So you have now a Measure U report that looks like, oh, only a couple million is going to public safety. And now most of it's going to these community priorities when they actually didn't they just moved between general fund and measure U. And so those mm-hmm. are the two things that happened. And what was weird to me about it is that they changed last year's budget. So what would have made sense in the realignment, which I guess we did authorize in the resolution, I found the language, and so it's all there, is that it would have made sense if we did it in this year's document so everybody could see here's what the prior measure U funding was, here's what the new measure U funding is, and that's why you're seeing it in this chart. But they actually went back to the 2021-2022 budget documents and changed everything there. And so this year it's like, oh, didn't you know that happened? And I'm like, where did this money go? <laughs> so it's um it's pretty confusing to see. So essentially what you have to do if you want to get the total department budget, you have to add up that bottom line that says total to the labor and supply offset. And that's the true department budget, counting all grant funds and all other funds that come in. So Great. By Glad my they cleared math, that up I for us. I literally have to pull up a separate chart. <laughs> yeah, you guys I got made, all that, right? <laughs> I made a chart because I had to have a separate that's, chart. Yeah, you're, you're charting. Like, you told me that. I can't track this. Um, so by my math, this year's proposed budget for SAC PD is $228 million, um, $447,000. If you okay. add up their general fund and, and with the labor supply offset and everything that's that's in there. So that is a $17 million increase from last year's adjusted amount. And last year's adjusted amount to the 2020-2021 is about $30 million. So last year's budget adjustment was actually closer to $30 million. And this year's is smaller, but it is still more money. Howard, Howard, Howard. I hope that what? makes sense because it took Trying me a long to time to get it down over that on us. <laughs> It only makes sense because as you're talking, I'm looking at... And I'm making hand gestures. <laughs> Yeah, well, that is incredibly. <laughs> yeah, our YouTubers but... will understand what, that, what <laughs> happened here. So yeah, so they move the money around in Measure U, and then they change the way they report the money. Um, I think the first change makes a lot of sense. The second change, it's just it's kind of interesting response to the critique of like, why are you spending so much Measure U money on public safety to be like, oh, we're not anymore, but we're still giving them the same amount of money. It's not like mm-hmm. we cut those budgets. It's that we just move the money around. So. This year, it's still a pretty significant increase for police. Um, 
And and ironically, what I found super interesting when I looked at the city manager's budget. Um, so in 2020, in 2021, um, he had his annual total budget was about $10 million. And this year, it's going to be $25 million. Um, and that's a pretty, I'm like, Howard Chan so, is building a personal army. Yeah. So like his department now, because he also has moved things under the city manager. So like affordable housing is under him now, like climate action. Oh, some great, of these things good. are inclusive economic development. But it is really difficult within that to see and understand how that all parses out and um, where that money is spent, which is our ongoing critique, is how did you spend that money? So the mm-hmm. police chief today, for instance, asked me what I would like to know, what questions I had, because tomorrow or today when you hear this, we're talking about the police budget at five o'clock. And I said, well, I'd like to know how you used the $30 million you got last year and what your measure for success was for that money. Um, so that's going to be my primary question because $30 million is a lot of money. Um, and mm-hmm. I want to understand what it was used for. That's a reasonable question to ask as the fiscal steward for your tax dollars, right? So totally reasonable. I'm also interested to see to what granularity uh, she will be able to say where that $30 million went. Um, you know, SAC PD, and I've talked with the police oversight committee on this. I've talked with um, I've talked with Flow at Measure U. They famously, famously do not tell you what money is going where. They give you just like real basic numbers, and it's a problem. And it, and if they want to practice what they're saying about like we're trying to increase transparency at SAC PD, like. We need some real oversight on granularity on where our tax dollars are going if it's going to harm our citizens to do X, Y, or Z. We we need to know. I, I really think we do. Well, I was helping one of the commissioners, who's my appointee, Keon, who's now, I think, the chair of the subcommittee and the vice chair of the whole committee, um, but he serves the subcommittee on the budget. And we were trying show. for weeks, yeah, to get more detailed budget information. Because when you see the budget presentation, when you read the budget, there's all these very specific things that they're saying, well, we need, you know, $4 million for this or a couple million for that or whatever. And so we're thinking, okay, somewhere you have a report of using the money for those things was kind of where we started. And so we're like, okay, how much money? What was the total program? What did you achieve? And eventually the response we got back was essentially, because he was at the point where he's like, well, I'm going to submit a public records request because you're not giving me this info. And they said, we do not have to create information that we do not have was essentially mm-hmm. the answer. So yeah. like when you submit a public <laughs> records act request, I'm not required to go audit everything and figure out where this money goes. So essentially what they were saying is we don't have a detailed calculation. And so when I chimed in and said, wait, what? Like you get the most general funds out of any department and you don't have an accounting for where that money goes. And they said, well, it's really complicated because it's, you know, some employees do multiple functions and it's hard to account you for You wouldn't what. understand. Yeah, yeah, I wish I, I could just like, say that. Like it's, it's very complicated. But then I, then I asked them like, well, then where do these budget requests come from? Because if you can't track, then how do you tell me that you spent this one point whatever million on that training program you said, if you can't tell me how much money you spent on that training program and it kind of ended in this weird way where we were like okay we're just gonna have to assume that you don't track this which I don't care how you feel about departments or what your philosophy is behind public safety to have any department getting a third of our general fund budget not and it is I did the numbers because you have to do that 35 percent of our general fund is going to this department um I mean I want to understand what that money is used for. I need Mm -hmm. to be able to, because then in the field, you'll hear police say things like, oh, we don't have the budget for a drug response team, right? And I'm like, well, how do you know you don't have a budget? Like, show me why you don't have a budget because you're getting more money than you've ever gotten before. Like when people call me and say, well, I called the cops five times and nobody ever came. I'm like, well, that doesn't make any sense because if you're getting the highest budget numbers you've ever gotten, then people should be getting responses. So, and I know there's a lot of complexity behind how that happens, but like these are things that the public is asking me that I'm going to ask the department that we should be able to answer um, just as a matter of good governance. I would like to Chief Lester to be able to answer that um, because it it feels from a third party perspective, obviously, I have my opinions on police and policing, but it feels like either a they this is a misuse of funds if they're not able to track their funds in any level of granularity or b they are lying and just hiding something from us. Um, And I had a C, but I lost it. Well, I mean, this goes back to like this, the city would not give uh, 
would not fulfill its city grants to partners that did not produce metrics to show how they were spending that money, mm-hmm. right? So, like, if City of Refuge, for example, yeah. could not provide information about how they are spending their money to serve folks experiencing homelessness, if St. John's Program for Real Change couldn't do this, like, the city would say, well, you're not going to get your money. Yeah. Like, we have said right, that we, to people before. Right. Yeah. So why the fuck is it different for police? And we know why it's different for police. But, like, there is, when it comes to stewarding the resources of a local government, it should not be surprising that you have folks who are asking the tough questions. And actually, it's it's fucking embarrassing that the tough question is, how do you spend your fucking money? Like, well, and especially when they're getting ready to do a full-scale audit of DCR, Department of Community Response. I mean, we've done full-scale audits of individual grantees before, and they've ended up not getting city funding again in some cases as a result of that. And and again, it was incredibly frustrating to have followed these presentations, as Kimpa just outlined, basically saying, well, we're just going to have to defund every road maintenance, every Latino. I mean, almost every Latino ask from the mid-year budget was on that list. I don't know if any of you caught that, but I caught that. Um, You know, all of the DCR mid-year programs, all of the stuff, we have to defund all of that to do climate. And then to turn around and say, but they're getting $17 million on top of the $32 million they got last year, and you can't tell me You anything. can't tell us where the money's going. And I'm telling you, I meet – so something that's surprising to people, and I'll just say on the show, is I do meet with the Police Officers Association regularly. Don't always agree, but we talk, right? And so he'll always say, I need more officers. And I'll always say, show me the evidence that having more officers will increase safety. Right. And when you show me the evidence that something is going to increase safety – by golly, I will do it. I don't care if I don't like the answer. You know, if you show me evidence that something you're trying to do is going to create more safety, I will do it because I want my community to be safe just like anybody else. But there is no evidence that increasing officers. And in fact, the own charts, so they did it again this year, which I find fascinating because I did catch Chief Han on this last year. They have the chart of officers per 1,000 and they have the chart of crimes per 1,000. And when you put them next to each other, because it's the same six cities in both of those charts, there is... There are cities with lower police per 1,000 with lower crime. There are cities with higher police per 1,000 with higher crime. So I'm like, help me understand because I know what the evidence shows, what I, the evidence I've seen shows, which is prevention and housing and economic opportunity. That prevents crime. But I'm not seeing why putting $30 million, what did that get us last year? Because we had multiple, our gun violence is going through the roof. And I'm not saying that's the police's responsibility. What I'm saying is we're not putting the money towards the things that would keep that stuff from happening. It's not their job to stop that from happening it's other programs job yeah um so katie uh i i think discussing this this budget thing as we mentioned there's a few more weeks of this getting worked out i don't know how set in stone it is today but uh i think a good start for for listeners who are interested in some some you know community um check-in and oversight on this is to attend Tuesday, May 17th, city council meeting at five o'clock. That'll be tonight as you're listening to this. Yes. Um, and at two o'clock, they're talking about youth parks and community enrichment. I don't want to lose that. Um, but yes, at five o'clock, they will talk about police and fire. Okay. Um, and these are important meetings um, and and a really important discussion. Um, there's also a, we have to actually tell the police department if we're willing to fund their like, less than lethal quote unquote uh stuff and like some of their tanks and things uh they are now legally required to ask the community that so uh i'll I'll send a link to that um survey and say please cops don't spend money on that um and i guess that's that with that discussion um i'm just such a joy to have you katie uh and and to discuss not just the budget but also uh your cuba trip (laughs) Yes, I would not be as good as I am without my talented staff, not just Skylar, but Michelle and Michaela and Tamika deserve a shout out as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, no, really a pleasure to be here and talk with you all. And I hope folks will get involved. The budget should be wrapped by June 14th is the current plan. And so um, just this goes pretty quickly. And, and But also don't forget the county budget is going to be happening at the same time and follow people's budget for action alerts, et cetera. Budget, budget, budget. Flo loves I mean, speaking the of speaking of the budget, like let's hypothetically say that I have five dollars to spend. Now, 
there's a couple of ways that I can go with it, right? Like one way that I can go with it is I can fork it over to the city and who knows where it will go. I mean, even where like they'll spend it and then they'll give me a 500 page indecipherable document, um, which ostensibly is like to inform me of uh, what has happened with my $5. But Dave, there's gotta be a more streamlined, uh, a more streamlined way that uh, involves a little more granularity, uh, if you will, uh, will, with what what you would do uh, with that five dollars. I just can't think of what it might be, and I'm hoping that you can help me out with that. Yeah, I think that's a good question. Um, I think depending on the legislative body, that that can be a good place to put it. Um, you know, were we to have five Katie's out of nine people on the dais, that might, you know, be a, a good idea here. But, um, you know, another thing you can consider uh, is is really uh, investing in something that will help you learn about um, potentially dangerous tweets regarding, um, you know, a local bar and leaf blowers, uh, or perhaps, uh, you know, discussions on, uh, you know, myself doing acro yoga with a former police chief. Um, you know, if this is the type of thing that you think really helps bring the discourse uh, really to the next level, uh, I would recommend going to patreon.com slash Voices River City and putting that $5 down per month uh, and, and helping us do the work that we do. We love the work that we do. If you love it, we'd really like you to invest in it, too. We will be having soon a uh, patron-only meetup, um, so become a patron today, and then you will be getting the info on that. Um, but beyond that, you know, we've got a store, VoicesRiverCity.com slash shop. Uh, ooh, we just got a new, um, Shannon, I gotta let you know. We just got another, an another order the other day. Um, we, oh, I just did my delivery finally to Mickey as well. So Mickey, Rat, I hope you are wearing the t-shirt, uh, drinking a claw out of that little koozie. Um, and I know you're not, you're under the weather right now, as many people are, especially the folks coming from cap to cap. Uh, so I hope you feel better. Um, but, uh, yeah, you know, you can find me on the socials. I'm, you know, Kempa at Y-O-U-K-N-O-W-K-E-M-P-A. You can find me as always at guillotine for you. That is guillotine. The number four. Y-O-U. Uh, I'm at Shan and D Stevens. And Dr. Flo is at Flojan, F-L-O-J-A-U-N-E. And... Katie, I, I did like, should I address you as Let's council not, member? We, we don't need to tell people where to find you. <laughs> <laughs> Am I making your job harder here? Oh, Skyler, I love it when people tweet at us. Um, Katie, for council is the personal slash campaign-ish account where I see all fun political things. And then Skylar, I don't remember my official council handle. What's that? I don't either. I never have to sign in because my phone remembers what my face looks like. That's I just okay. search Council it's Member Valenzuela. CMK Valenzuela. Oh, thank you, yes. Shannon. That sounds hired. correct. Yeah, thanks, Shannon. <laughs> yeah. Thank Shannon you. doing Skyler's job. Look at that. <laughs> I'm looking for looking for some, <laughs> some new gigs. So. Um, well, that's our show. Uh, once more, uh, Katie, thank you so much for coming on. Um, yeah. Just such a cool topic. Um. And I don't know. I guess that's it. Anyone else on anything? I don't even have one thing. No, not not even one thing. That's great. All right. Tune well, in next week for Vin Diesel facts uh, with Skyler. <laughs> also, tune in oh, Thursday. Shit. We have a special epi episode. Uh, Shannon, Flo, and I will be discussing uh, the local elections. Um, and yeah, um, actually another reason to become a patron because we're trying to do more work and we're trying to do our civic duty. So um, yeah, well, keep an eye out for that. Ooh, are you going to talk about campaign donations, David? Oh, a little bit. Yeah, maybe, maybe business interests are putting a lot of money, an unprecedented amount, into a city council race. We might discuss that. PRC voter guide coming at you. All right, bye everyone.